Welcome to COMC Office Hours, a production of the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University. Each episode, current students will host conversations about the communication industry, post-grad life, and all the things you wish you had asked in office hours. This is a place for current students, industry professionals, and faculty to connect as we explore what it's like to take a leap into any industry, anywhere. My name is Perry, and I will be hosting the episode this week, and we'll be covering the Olympics. I also have another guest with me. Yeah, my name is Brenna. I am excited to listen in on this conversation. I enjoyed watching the Tokyo Olympics recently, and so I'm excited to hear some insight from someone who's kind of behind the behind the scenes and knows the ins and outs of the Olympics that's not totally what the public sees all the time. So... That's exciting. And we have a guest who is professionally involved with the Olympics as well. Yes, we do. His name is Bob Condren. And Bob Condren went to Texas Tech University, and he was the director of media services for the U.S. Olympic Committee for 28 years and 15 Olympic Games until his retirement in 2012. During that time, he was a member of the International Olympic Committee's Press Commission that oversaw the media operation of the Olympic Games for 10 years. He also served on various IOC committees, including one that awarded the media accreditations to 205 National Olympic Committees for the Olympic Games of 2006, 2008, 2010, 2012, and 2014. In February 2013, he came out of retirement to assist the International Federation of Wrestling to win its spot back in the Olympic Games. He lived in Corsier-sur-Vivet, Switzerland, the home of the Federation, during his stint as a communications officer. Big Games, serving as the media manager for the sport of golf for Rio 2016, he lived in Brazil as golf returned to the Games after a 112-year absence. He was also a consultant for the Pan American Games of 2015 in Toronto, Canada, and he's a member of the U.S. Golf Association staff for U.S. Open Championships. He has been a member of the USGA staff for six U.S. Men's Opens, one Women's Open, and a U.S. Amateur Championship. He is the former Assistant Athletic Director and Sports Information Director at Southern Methodist University for 14 years, and he was the Assistant Sports Information Director at Texas Tech for three years after his graduation in 1968. He was named to the College Sports Information Directors Association Hall of Fame in 2004, and he won the Association's Keith Jackson Award in 2012. He was named the Outstanding Alumni of the Texas Tech College of Media and Communication in 2000 and the college's Hall of Fame in 2008. He was in the first graduation class of the College of Media and Communication. He studied journalism at Texas Tech and graduated in 1969. Mr. Condren is currently a member of the selection committees for the state of Colorado and the Colorado Springs Sports Hall of Fame, and he's also a member of the College of Media Communication National Advisory Board. So Mr. Condren is definitely an expert when it comes to meeting communication, the realm of the Olympics, and he is a treasured alumni here at Texas Tech University. So we are happy to have you here with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hope I can share some good ideas with you. Yeah. Awesome. So I think our first question we have for you is what was your career trajectory towards becoming the director of media service for the U.S. Olympic Committee? Because I feel like that's a huge accomplishment and not a lot of people know how to really get to that position. So can you tell us a little bit about your career trajectory and how you 
kind of came to be the media service director. Sure, it's a long, it's a long chain there that connects from the bottom to the top. But I was in a class at Texas Tech, uh, taught by Dr. Billy Ross. And, uh, and at the end of class, he said, hey, they're looking for an opening. They have an opening for a student assistant in the sports information office. So uh, well, I said, that sounds great. So I bolted over there and I was working that afternoon. And that was the beginning of my career. And uh, so I was a student assistant for two or three years. Then I became assistant sports information director at Tech. Went to SMU for 14 years. And while I was at SMU, I volunteered for an event that the U.S. Olympic Committee uh, hosts called the uh, National Sports Festival. And uh, it was 1981. And I absolutely fell in love with the Olympic world. National anthem, gold medals, 3,000 American athletes. And uh, I said, I would love to be involved in this someday. And uh, someday came pretty early when I was offered a job with the U.S. Olympic Committee in uh, 1984, right before the Los Angeles Games. So I was, uh, I've done 16 Olympics, a director of media services for the U.S. team. Uh, for most of that time. And then after I retired, uh, I worked for the organizing committee in, in Rio. So that was a, a different kind of experience, uh, one that I loved and a sport that I loved, golf. I, I was worked around golf courses all my life. So to me, it was kind of a dream come true. And, you know, I, I look back and say, wow, you know, how lucky I was to, to do this, you know, even, even more so watching the Olympics now on television. You know, this is the first Summer Olympics. You know, I mean, I worked the last one in uh, in Rio, so watching it on television now and, and enjoying it, and uh, kind of a different scenario when you're sitting on a couch, uh, other than being in a press conference with Michael Phelps. But, oh wow! Uh, well, I enjoyed it, and uh, I still enjoy the Olympics. I think it's a great, great world that, that we're in that we can have this of what it means to uh, to have an Olympics. I was actually watching an interview during this previous Olympics in Tokyo where they had Michael Phelps on as a commentator because it's one of the first Summer Olympics where we haven't had Michael Phelps competing. And someone mentioned how strange it is to see Michael Phelps with a beard. Like, that's just not how we're used to seeing him because he's had to be so clean-shaven for his sport all his years of being famous. And so... Um, I was kind of like, let him have this. He has yeah. not been able to do this <laughs> for the sake of swimming for years. So just let him have this. He gets excited, doesn't he? So it's, I can have good memories about Michael Phelps. So he he was a he was a good ambassador for United States for swimming for whatever. I mean, he he did some good things, and I good for him. Good for yes. him. And I also think I worked at the Daily Toreador, which is our student media publication, and I was a sports writer. And so I've gotten to interact with SIDs and I'm very familiar with, with especially the SIDs at that time at Texas Tech and kind of how all that is organized. And so it's really interesting for me to see how you took that opportunity and found more specific interests to you and, and kind of went from there. So um, it's nice. I have, I have a, a visual of that starting point for you. Well, I also worked for the, uh, the, Toreador, except it was named the University Daily when when I did. But wow, uh, that that was 
you know, that actually looking back on things probably had as much to do with where I started from and where I ended as anything, you know, writing for the Texas Tech student paper. Yes, it was a great experience. I I didn't know a lot about sports. Um, I, I ran track and I played golf in high school. And so it mm. was great to get to cover track and golf. And I learned a lot about tennis and football and basketball. So <laughs> it was great. All right. While we're on the topic of what it's like to cover media and be someone that is writing about sports, I just would like to know your perspective as far as what do you think is media's true role while covering the Olympics? And in what ways do you think it should exercise its responsibilities to the public? I, th I think the main gist of covering anything is just to, to do the story, do it complete, do it with passion, get your facts straight is, is the most important thing. I, I think you can, I think every writer, broadcaster, blogger, whoever is at the Olympics is pulling for the athlete to do well. It makes a better story. Uh, I, I think they're telling the truth is, is the best. You know, there's a lot of opinion pieces, but you know, you can have your opinion pieces and that's, that's good. But I, I like, I like to hear the personal situation with, with the athletes. What do they do for fun? What I know they run across the finish line and win a gold medal, but what got them there? Who took them there? You know, I, I like the personal concept of uh, of the athletes and, you know, what made them what they are. And one story from our most recent Olympics that I think perfectly epitomizes that is um, uh, there were two female swimmers from the U.S. and we watched their final 200 meter swim and you know they're they're both on the u.s team was it katie ledecky katie ledecky and, and katie the australian ledecky and lily king lily king yes yeah, i've been and covering it so it i know so, the names. <laughs> it was so but from an outsider i don't know anything about the world of swimming mm -hmm. um but because they featured a story about lily king you know helping katie ledecky get through practices after her father passed away and just their mm -hmm. personal relationship with one another you know that made me root for them even more and actually mm -hmm. enjoy that race that i would have had i would have had no idea about those two swimmers if they hadn't featured a personal story like that that made mm -hmm. that endeared them to the audience so yeah that's that's what i want to know about an athlete what are they? Who are they? Uh, and and you've got it with Katie Ledecky and her, her friend. That that's to me the the biggest thing in the Olympics is uh, the he heroes and heroines that jump in the water, run on the track, dribble on the court, whatever. I mean, I like I like to to meet them as human beings, and uh, and that's my angle on, on things. I just, I like the personal stories. Yeah, I think that's a really important perspective to share when you're covering sports, especially because it's so easy to kind of like get caught up in just them winning the medal or just being an athlete. But it's also really important to like, know that they're human and like learning about those other aspects of who they are. So I think that's a really great perspective. Yeah, like we all, um, she's kind of even more in the limelight mm -hmm. over this past Olympics, even though she didn't compete, but like Simone Biles in, mm -hmm. in Rio, you know, she was so, she was such a sensation mm -hmm. winning. And such a favorite. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what made her probably more of a sensation though, among 
the American audience was learning about her story with her grandparents and, mm-hmm. and her history and how she ended up at the Olympics and being what seems like the greatest in the world. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. Yeah. And also, um, Perry might have a question that is similar <laughs> to this later, but considering um, all of the uproar and speculation that happened with Simone Biles pulling out of the, oh, Perry has a question. That is exactly <laughs> yeah. what Yeah, I'm that's asking. why I pulled it up. I was like, oh, that was in yes. my mind too. So keeping in mind Simone Biles' choice to withdraw from certain contests, certain events in the Olympics, um, and kind of it seems like everybody has had an opinion about it. Um, how does the committee conduct communication during times of crisis or controversy like that? She's an all-star athlete on our team. Um, and then the Olympics did not go the way that everyone anticipated for her. And so how, what is the Olympic committee's game plan when things like that happen? Usually first is to get with the athlete and find out the different reasons and why, and, and, uh, and then tell the truth. That's the whole thing. The first thing that comes out of your mouth is going to stand for the test of time. So it better be correct. Um, and it was kind of correct. The first thing that came out from uh, USA Gymnastics was, uh, this is a medical condition. Well, it, it was and it wasn't. It, it's a mental condition. And it's a, uh, it's a condition that's prevalent in sports like gymnastics, diving, trampoline, where you're depending on your balance. You're depending on h- how you can adjust to being upside down and doing flips and twists. And, and you can get lost. Uh, and, and you, you know, it's hard to get it back. It's, those sports are dangerous. If you attempt a vault or the, or the uh, balance beam, you're not just falling down on the floor gently. I mean, you, you can do some dangerous things. So, you know, Simone felt like, hey, I'm at a point where I'm not seeing what I need to be seeing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back. You know, you can't. You can't blame her. And you got to tell the truth during that time. And you've got to, uh, you know, work with the athlete. Uh, some athletes want to say, I want to get right out and tell my story. Some don't. Some say, I just want to go hide somewhere. And, and if, if you hide, it's going to get worse. But everybody in the world is pulling for Simone Biles. Everybody, even if they're disappointed in how this ended. I mean, think about how it could have ended. She could have had probably everything she touched would have been a gold medal. She would have gone down as maybe the greatest athlete in the Olympics history uh, if that would have happened. But it didn't. It went another road. And I think most people understand. Some of them don't. Some of them don't get COVID vaccines. Some of them do. So there is... I would say overwhelming feeling for her and what she went through. And then other athletes supported her, coaches supported her, but she told her own story. She did it the next day quick. Uh, and now she's coming back and is going to do the balance beam. So in the last event, hopefully, which is odd because that's the hardest event there is. And, uh, you know, I just wish her, well, I, I think she's a story, you know, five feet tall, just solid muscle, able to do things that no other gymnast in history has done. 
And I wish it would have had a different ending, but it didn't have a different ending. But she'll still go down as somebody that was very, very special. Mm -hmm. I saw a take on it that I really appreciated and kind of showed even the way that um, and you were probably, I don't know if you were involved with the Olympics when um, this occurred, but but in the past, you know, we've had American gymnasts who who competed, who did that second vault when they were injured for the sake of the gold medal. Oh, Carrie Strug. <laughs> and so, and, yes. and this was really a testament of putting Simone's safety and Simone's peace of mind and, and her, and really listening to her. Um, and so it kind of has shown how, We've how we've evolved i guess um mm-hmm. were you involved at with the olympics during that period where carrie strug she won the gold medal for the u.s i think it was like 96 i'm not sure 96 in atlanta i was very yes. very involved. I, I, know my, <laughs> I know my olympic history <laughs> yep I, I was there that night and uh she the the team won uh, a team gold medal uh but she had she was rushed to the hospital uh, and I actually went to the hospital and, uh, and kind of did a watch out there because the media were starting to gather at the, at the, uh, at the hospital. So we ended up with Carrie uh, meeting with the media there at the hospital. Then we brought her back to the uh, Olympic uh, grounds in the, in the, uh, in the gymnastics arena to have a, huge press conference about three hours later so yep i I was involved in that one that was one of the the absolute coolest things because at the end of it she said okay i'll i'd like to go to the press conference but one condition you take me to planet hollywood afterwards where (laughs) where the rest of the gymnastics team was and so i remember her going in the back door and you could see the spotlights inside the uh Planet Hollywood, and all of a sudden, just pandemonium broke it when she walked when she walked in. So that was a good night, even though she messed her ankle up. It eventually got well, and she'll be remembered that you know, for that the rest of her life. Doing that jump on basically one leg, and that's mm-hmm. a different a different story than happened this time. You know, you got you got to look at both of them and see how you feel. Uh, but I wish Simone would have had a chance to be her best in all of those events that she had to pull out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel like we've kind of covered athletes facing challenges personally, you know, mentally and physically. As the media services director, what were your personal challenges that you faced during your time with the Olympics Committee? Well, it was basically an adrenaline rush from two weeks before the games until you got home off the airplane. Oh, wow. (laughs) Everything was happening. You know, in the Summer Olympics, you've got maybe 25, 30 medals a night or a day that are are awarded. Something's happening all the time. Uh, It's not where you can take a break. You're on duty all the time, night, you know, your night is somebody else's deadline uh, during their day. Uh, it, it's just adjusting to the world. It's not like, oh, okay, 10 o'clock U.S. time, we got to wrap this up. Well, you're not wrapping anything. The, the Japanese 
when I was at, at golf in, in Rio as a media manager, we'd get there at six in the morning. Well, that was their deadline in Japan. Wow. So they're not, they're in a hurry for results, everything. It is a 24 hour clock. And, uh, I, I did the, I, I set up the operations for, you know, the, the U S team and then in, in Rio for the world. Uh, so it's, it's just the fact that it's the spotlight of the world. When, when you're at an Olympics, every dateline you, you, you see says where the Olympics are, you know, that could be Barcelona. It could be Sydney, it could be Norway. It could be Havana, Cuba in the, in the Pan American game, but you are at the center of the universe and you've got to absolutely bring your A game and, and give it the best attempt you can give it to. It's not like baseball where you get three strikes. You got one strike in the, in the Olympics. You got to do it right the first time. Uh, but it's such an absolute joy to, to be there, to be around the athletes and, and see them on the podium. You know, my office in Colorado Springs was, was at the Olympic Training Center. So I would get to see those athletes when they were not gold medalists, but they were just people that, you know, you'd meet in the cafeteria and the, in, the, in the weight room and walking around the, the campus. And then boom, three years later, it's Rulon Gardner, Mary Lou Retton, uh, Apollo Ono, Bonnie Blair, Sean White, you know, they're famous. Uh, but, you know, to get famous as they are, I saw how hard they worked. I mean, they were, the athletes are so incredibly disciplined to do this right, do this right, and do it right for three years, four years, five years sometime. It's not just, hey, I've shown up one day and had a good day. It's, I showed up one day and I had a good five years getting ready for that day. And uh, sometimes that day comes, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, to see the journey of those young folks at the Olympic Training Center and competing throughout the year was, wow. I look back on that and say, I learned from them. I learned how to be a, a better human, a better worker. Everybody at the Training Center was better at their job, whether it's cooking pancakes, mowing the grass, whatever, because they got to see what the athletes put into it. How do you think that your degree in journalism from TTU prepared you for working in that world and working um, with athletes and working with Olympic media and just how did that experience here at Tech help you um, in the Olympic world? It actually helped me a lot. It helped me when I was there. And then during the years, I came back and talked to classes and, and worked with students. In fact, at the U.S. Olympic Committee, the, the college university that had the most interns intern with the U.S. Olympic Committee and the Olympic sports here in Colorado Springs was Texas Tech. Texas Tech had massive number of interns that go through here, and they're working in the world of sports right now. But the thing that that I learned was if you have a job, don't wait to be corrected. You're a professional. The moment you step out 
you're a professional. You need to get it right the first time. And the, and the Texas Tech students did that. They got that from the teachers who, who I became to know, you know, the professors, the faculty. Most every Texas Tech student I've ever worked with doesn't wait to be corrected. It's, it's done. Uh, it's done well. It's done right the first time. They put their pride on the line. They take pride in what they do. They come in more prepared than any other college that I, I think had interns at the Olympic Committee. I think they knew how to do things. They knew how to spell correctly, to AP style, and how to edit, how to how to do things. So that preparation is is a strong suit that I see from being in class at Texas Tech. It was in my era, a little bit more simple in my area, era, uh, and, and yesterday, today. You know, one of the best joys I ever had was teaching a class at Texas Tech. And it was right before the Olympics in, in Brazil. And the class was uh, kind of almost a master's level, but it, it wasn't, it was for upper level students. Pick a sport, any sport you want, and give me a communications plan pre-games, during the games, and then after the games. Go all the way to when you're preparing, to when you're competing, and then what it means. How do you take advantage of a, of a gold medal in cycling or gymnastics or water polo, whatever sport you picked? And I, I don't, I've never enjoyed anything much in my life in the students just jumped into it and did great. They actually shared their papers with the PR people for that sport that are going to the Olympics. And a lot of the ideas that they came up with were used in gymnastics, golf, uh, whatever. Uh, you know, I was really proud. And there's about 13 students in that, in that class. And every one of them was just excellent. Loved it. You know, they did things right. I, I just enjoyed being around them. I and we're still friends up to this day. And uh, I hear from a lot of them, but boy, that was a good time. Them and for me. Yeah, that's incredible. Sign me up for that class. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you kind of gave us a little bit of insight just now about you being a professor at Texas Tech University and kind of being able to guide some students to the program with your courses. So I'm just wondering mm -hmm. what type of advice would you give to prospective students that are going to one day be in your position and be able to cover the Olympics? What sort of steps can they take now or in the future to achieve that goal? One, they need to be prepared. Every single thing they do needs to be done with that ship pointed north. What you learn, everything you learn and make sure you, you know, you do it well. When you step out, you're ready. I mean, that could be photography, that could be public speaking, that could be editing film, that could be a variety of things. Uh, volunteering actually was the key to my whole situation. I volunteered at events that turned out to be a job. You know, when I volunteered for the, I was at, as you mentioned, I was sports information director and assistant athletic director at SMU. And I volunteered for it, for the national sports festival, ended up 
I was offered a job with the U.S. Olympic Committee because of it. Uh, little things. Getting your name on a resume that says you were involved in this. You were involved in something else. It, it's funny when people look at resumes and boom, you have had experience in that field. You go into the pile on the right, which is the good pile. Uh, so as much experience as you can get, you can volunteer in the summer, you can volunteer in sports, uh, at Texas Tech. You can do a variety of things to get your name on there. It says you, and then it says volunteer NCAA basketball, whatever. The more that you can do, that, that'll really help. And the one, you know, I've, I've talked about different things. One, interviewing, that's a skill. Uh, Follow-up. I talk about the first day on the job. First day on the job, do something better than the boss hopes you will do. Do it better, but do it more complete. Be, be original. If you can, I don't care if it's cleaning the microwave, <laughs> something that stamps you as this person wants to do well in a job. That's, that's what I try to do. Texas Tech, my first job was newspaper clippings, put them in a notebook. And when, when I got there, there must have been 10 feet of newspapers that hadn't been looked at. I, I took such pride in clipping those Texas Tech stories out. You know, no ragged edges, no glue balls on the, you know, making the pages stick together. I laid it out like the New York Times front page and I did it and I was dirty and I got ink all over myself. But nobody before or since has ever done that clipping book like I did on the first day of my job. So go in and, and make a difference. I mean, the first day is just crucial in a job. Interviews, every step of the way on getting there is, is crucial. You know, listen to your professors. What, what do you need in a resume? What you don't need? Uh, I think the Texas Tech faculty is really, really good in prepping students. You know, like I mentioned, they, they were the best interns in the Olympic movement uh, that, that I saw. So proud of all of them. And maybe I'm glad to have a little bit of a, a piece in that from my class and from the time I, I talked to classes. Yeah, and just kind of to wrap up my, just to satisfy my own curiosity, <laughs> what was probably the most amazing moment you got to witness through all the Olympics that you attended and worked? Um, what was the most just astonishing moment that you got to see through all that? The most astonishing moment. You know, overall, it might have been my first moment in my first Olympics in Los Angeles when the closing ceremonies ended. And I'm just looking around and saying, God, how lucky am I? You know, how, how lucky am I to be at the Olympics? Just watching this and uh, it's gonna be part of my life now. Uh, I have a have a thing for ceremonies. I, I, I remember the, the opening, the lighting of the torch in Norway, the, Ski jumper comes down with a with a torch, jumps, 
goes over, lights the torch, boom. You know, the guy could have been a big ball of fire if he would have played that wrong. I remember hearing Freddie Mercury at the 1992 Barca Olympics leading off singing. Uh, I, I just remember the ceremonies that just stand out because the ceremonies either start or end the games. And it's a very special moment. If I had to pick an athletic story, it'd be Sean White, you know, flying tomato that, you know, on a, uh, on a board, half pipe board, doing things nobody even dreamed of. Uh, you know, here, here's, here's one of the sports put in for, for youth and boy, he just lit it up. I remember, Bonnie Blair, the speed skater, the, there was an injury on the men's team. She skated on the men's team uh, in a relay. I remember Dan Jansen, the, the speed skater, who for two Olympics was the favorite, and he fell, fell every time. Fell. First night was day after his sister died uh, in Calgary, and he was expected to win something. He fell in the first curve. He did that all the way to the end of his career. He won his last race, the thousand meters uh, speech game. You know, uh, Phelps, Michael Phelps, the whole journey was just amazing because he had a he had the pressure of winning eight gold medals. I, I don't think his legacy would have been as it was if he would have won seven, but he won eight. He, he was incredible. And uh, not only a memory, there's a lot of memories on Michael Phelps. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all that yeah. with us. And before you go, I'm just curious about what is your favorite Olympics to watch? Is it the summer? Is it the summer games or is it the winter games? It's both. If I had to pick a favorite on the winter side, it would definitely be Lillehammer, Norway. You know, I got to watch the. Ooh. The sky light up, uh, northern lights up on a mountain one time, and it it was over the, the city, and uh, I mean the whole Norwegian experience was amazing. Kids running around in shorts and twenty degree weather playing in the snow, little two year olds. <laughs> and then uh, my my summer is probably uh, Sydney, Australia just the, the coolness of the Australian people and how, how they went about things and just the comfort level. But I've, I can't say I've been disappointed with any Olympics. I mean, just being there is amazing. And I've, I've enjoyed my 16 Olympics, just incredible and glad I did it. I'm glad now I can look back on it and say, wow, I was there, it's part of my life. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Condren. We have really greatly appreciated your perspective and your insight on the Olympic Games and what it takes to make it to the Olympics as a reporter. It's really amazing to have your perspective. So are there any final words or thoughts you would like to provide our listeners with before we go? I would say to the students, take advantage of your time at Texas Tech. It's golden, you know, in a lot of ways. But, you know, scholastically, uh, just get ready for what you want to do. 
if you want to be an insurance salesman, it, then get into insurance. Get into volunteering in insurance. If you want to be in sports and in media, I mean, there's a lot of things you can go in media that, you know, you can go into events, you can go into organization, you can go in a lot of things. Prepare yourself. Get get your name on the resume. Get your contacts. Work toward a goal. You know, all of us don't have a goal until we're in our last class as a senior, but the more you can prepare for something and get ready for it, the better off you're going to be. And uh, I just say, take pride in what you're doing. Always take pride and, and always remember who helped you. Uh, I do. And it was a cast of professors there at Texas tech in the late sixties that did that for me. You know, they, they trusted in me. They helped me. You know, I, I just remember sitting in those classes and, saying, wow, this, this could lead to something. And it, and it did, it led to something and I'm happy for it. Thank you so well, much once to. again for agreeing to inter let us interview <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, enjoyed it guys. Thanks, have a great uh, afternoon. <laughs> you too, you too. This has been COMC Office Hours a student-led production of the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University. We hope this podcast helps you explore the opportunities found in our college, stay up to date on the ever-changing communication industry, and make the transition from Lubbock to any industry, anywhere. Wreck'em!